seated. Well, for some time now, we are going through a consecutive expository series in the Gospel of Luke, and we're now picking up the reading of our scripture for today at Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 17. This is the word of the Lord. Hear it with appreciation. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whenever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had arisen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things, and he sought to see him. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And when the crowds learned of it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear, to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowds away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. <laughs> Unless we're to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. And then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. 
And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. The word of the Lord. Today, as I said, we're rolling into chapter 9 in Luke's gospel. And almost, not completely, but probably 80-85% of this chapter, chapter 9, is all about the theme that we could call, uh, using from a famous book about discipleship, the training of the twelve. Jesus was really honing down now, not just upon doing miracles and healing people, which he was, and teaching, but he's really beginning to now hone in on the training of his 12 disciples. They were to learn from their master about how he and he alone can provide sufficiently for his own. His sufficiency, the sufficiency of Jesus for all their needs, and by implication, those who follow him, who are his disciples now, for our needs. Today, the outline goes like this. Now, by the way, no acrostic today. No, this, this is, these three are, are not well connected. They're, they seem to, to jump around a good bit, so it's impossible to, to come up with. At least I couldn't come up with, so I didn't even try this time. The shared authority is the first thing that we saw in the text. The perplexed king is the second and the smallest little section, and the 5,000 fed. That's our outline uh, for this text this morning, and let's dig in. All right, the shared authority. That's found in verses 1 through 6. In spite of all of the things that Jesus was doing, and that there were still many that were grumbling and complaining about all of these wonderful things that he was doing. And yet, despite all of that unbelief that was cropping up, yes, people were believing and trusting in Jesus and following him, but there were many that were not and were disgruntled and unbelieving. And yet, despite of that unbelief, the good news of the gospel of the kingdom needed to go on. And so, Jesus took his 12 and sent them out on a mission. And for the first time, they were given authority to do the same kind of things that Jesus alone was able to do. They were able, as you, as you heard, to heal and even to push back on the demonic world, to free people from demons. Can you imagine what that would have been like? These stumbling, bumbling, knucklehead, most of the time, Disciples of Jesus were able to bring healing and be able to defeat the demonic forces that had people in their grasp 
they were able to do that because of the sufficient power of Jesus. And he had handed some of that authority over to them. Jesus was sharing his power and authority with his followers. You could kind of think of it as franchising the gospel. Um, uh, Joe back there, Joe Salento, uh, he, he, he knows about franchising and uh, does that for, for uh, uh, Panda Express and I think Chick-fil-A and places like that. Uh, well, this is franchising of the gospel enterprise. And Jesus is inviting his followers to be his agents under his own authority who will help bring about the long-awaited coming of the kingdom of God. Jesus was here to establish it, to start that. And he had brought friends, and he was going to multiply that even down to and through our time. He continues that enterprise. But this was the first big step for the training of the 12. Now, this action established Jesus as being unique in all of Jewish history. There had been plenty of other uh, leaders and prophets and people like that that had tried, had, had done a ministry, but there, there wasn't the, the ability to for a prophet to transfer their authority. They didn't have in and of themselves. God could do it, of course, and give it to another and raise up another. But Jesus is here, as it were, giving away some of his own authority. And that is unique in the Old Testament. Their authority that could be done only by God. And yet, God's Son, the Son of God, is giving that kind of authority to his disciples. That, that, when you think of again about those guys and being given that kind of authority, that only can come from God. And of course it did in the, the Lord Jesus. Now, Jesus told his disciples that as he sent them out, he said they're going to need to travel light. Uh, there, there were specific instructions that he gave. You heard those read. You can read it again. But they were to be in, uh, dependent on others. They weren't supposed to carry a lot of stuff, a lot of the things they would normally carry on trips and so forth, because they were going to be totally dependent on other people providing them their living. And in, during that time, while they were going about doing these things in the name of the Lord, but what was the instruction about shaking off the dust of their feet if somebody in a home uh, didn't receive them? If somebody didn't, he said, obviously, if they did, then they would receive a blessing. But what about those who didn't believe? And there were plenty of those. And Jesus said this expression, shake the dust off. What does that mean? What's that, what's that entail? Um, it basically signaled judgment on that household. It signaled judgment. So if, if they went into a house and that house did not receive them and say, no, nah, you're the follower of that stupid uh, new rabbi uh, up, in, up in Redneckville, um, you know, you're, you, you, we, don't, we don't want any of your kind around here. 
if, if, they had, if someone did or responded in that way or in other ways similar, they were sealing themselves in judgment. That's what that metaphor. You, on this occasion, the disciples were to do it as a solemn legal witness to the Jewish people that rejected the gospel. We know that many, many of the Jewish people who had had all the promises, all things, many of them ultimately rejected Christ, the Messiah, their Messiah. And yet, this time, instead of telling them the good news, although they did, they preached the good news, and those that received it were blessed. But those who did not were basically sealing their own tomb. They were being sealed in judgment. And the uh, witnesses were, of the disciples, they were a solemn witness to the people's rejection of the gospel. So it's both a beautiful and wonderful time and is also was a horrible time for many of those because they were only sealing their own doom. And that still, my friends, goes on to this day. Those who hear and receive and believe the gospel, they will be saved. They will be well. All will be well. But those who refuse to believe in the Son of God, they will perish. Jesus came so they would not perish. But when they do not believe, they perish then and now. Now, the second part is this little piece in the middle, a little, uh, the perplexed king. That's in verses 7 through 9. Now, let me give you just a little bit of a background here. Go back in history just a bit. All right? This is 30, uh, sometime around thir- close to 30 AD. Now, uh, now we don't, we, there's way to, to, different ways to look at that, but that's closely the time. Back in about 30 years before, 34 years before, uh, there was a wicked ruler by the name of Herod the Great. And he is the one that built all those fortresses I showed you about, Herodian, all those places. Uh, But Herod the Great finally died in 4 BC. And he had uh, several sons. And at that time, uh, there Uh, His son, Herod Antipas, became one of the rulers of his father's kingdom. He wasn't the sole ruler. There were actually originally four. That's where the word tetrarch comes in. Uh, And basically, these are under rulers with Rome over the top. There's the real ruler, but all these others have a part in the in the puzzle. And the kingdom, the Roman authorities had split uh, at Herod's death, split it with Antipas's two other brothers. And so he ruled from his father's death at 4 BC until AD 39. So Herod, think about that, he ruled uh, Galilee and Perea. Galilee up on the uh, the left side of the Sea of Galilee, as we've been seeing in the map, 
and Perea, which would be down here. So those two kingdoms or, or portions were part of his kingdom that he ruled, and he ruled it for our Lord's lifetime. Jesus, he was, he was ruling when Jesus was born. He was also ruling after Jesus was crucified uh, until A.D. 39. Now, Jesus' fame, that's just background. Jesus' fame continues to spread as we've seen it do over and over again. And it's just the crowds continue to amass and grow throughout the region of Galilee. And that region is where Herod is, Herod Antipas, or Herod the Tetrarch, he's sometimes called. Uh, that is where he ruled. This, in other words, Jesus was in on his turf, under in his kingdom. But that notoriety, that notoriety did not escape the attention of the ruler, King Herod, Antipas. You see, the king was perplexed. He was, he was very, very curious about Jesus. He had been for a while, but that curiosity just kicked into overdrive when he started hearing these rumors about John the Baptist coming back from the dead, or, or even Elijah coming, or one of the other older prophets, great prophets somehow making appearances. Can you imagine that? Um, and and so he was getting really interested about this new guy in his territory named Jesus of Nazareth. And he had been hearing all the reports, and he was curious. And he was perplexed, as the text says. And listen in verse 9, specifically what he says. Herod said, John, I beheaded. He knows he killed him. But who is this about whom I hear such things? In other words, who can be doing these kinds of things? This is no ordinary man. And it says he sought to see him. In other words, he wanted the king wanted an audience with Jesus. Now, we know from other indications that probably this was more curiosity. He wanted to get a good show out of Jesus. He wanted to find out what kind of tricks he could do. Obviously, this guy was, had something going and something pretty amazing and some kind of tricks he had going. So he wanted to find out. He, he wanted to be... In, at, the, at the theater for the show. But he didn't get that. Jesus would later call him what? Fox. That fox. He's the one, remember, that killed. This Herod is the one that killed John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer. So, you see, curiosity, in this case, was killing the cat. And he wanted an audience with Jesus. But he didn't get it. Not yet. 
when he wanted it on his terms, he didn't get it. He would have to wait for his time and for his place that would come in the appointed time when Herod had Jesus in his grips, in his palace at the time of the crucifixion. So this is long, long before. He wanted it then, but God had ordained it wasn't going to happen. There's no way until exactly when God had him sending his son as their sacrifice, and he was brought to, remember, Herod, the same Herod, Herod Antipas. Now, back to the result of coming from these places, having gone and shared the good news and the gospel of the kingdom and seen all these things, the boys were back in town. They, were, they had finally returned. And when the disciples got back, they needed to debrief with their master. Uh, and, and so Jesus said, all right, come on, let's, let's go away. So they headed up basically north uh, uh, and mostly north and a little bit to the east uh, to a town called Bethsaida. And they thought they would be able to get a little R&R after all the stuff that Jesus had been doing. But unfortunately, uh, they did not account for the uh, interest of the crowds because next thing you know, there they are right behind them. They followed them uh, up to Bethsaida. And so there is this massive, massive crowd. And the disciples may have thought that they ditched the crowd, but as I said, quite the contrary. So when Jesus and company got back to the shoreline, which again would have probably been down in the place where I pointed out to you a, a really low region uh, where south uh, around past Capernaum, probably in that area somewhere, somewhere in that general area, uh, this event took place. And so when they got back to the shoreline, Jesus encountered this massive throng of men, women, and children. But all that are given to us here uh, by Luke and by the other accounts is that there were 5,000 men. That does not account for women or children. So this was much bigger than 5,000 that were being fed. But that was the accounting in terms of of the whole, and just the 5,000 figure is for the men alone. So Jesus was teaching the people late in the afternoon, and things were beginning to uh, do what the sun does, starting to go, get, get low in the sky and, and uh, beginning to get closer and closer to dark. So the disciples said to uh, their master, Look, Lord, um, look, it's getting late here. Uh, we're in a really, really not a very good place. There's no... There's no uh, supermarkets here. There's no grocery stores. Uh, we, you know, we, why don't we just send these people away and tell them to go home or, or, or go to the local food court or whatever and, and uh, get, get a meal, and we can take up this thing tomorrow. And Jesus, of course, said what? You, you feed them. 
you imagine, you know, I mean, literally uh, their jaw had to have dropped uh, when he said, you feed them. Um, and uh, so here they are. Um, and there's no local, you know, no local Wendy's or anything like that. And so, but Jesus says you, and the, and the emphatic is on the you. It's on give them something to eat. And as I said, they probably, you know, were completely dismayed by that. But they finally went off to do a little reconnaissance. And you know what they came back with, right? <laughs> Two barley loaves and five fishes. Um, and uh, that's, uh, or excuse me, five loaves and two fishes. There we go. Five loaves and two fishes. Um, and, uh, and, and the, the thing that's, that's amazing here is, is they're incredulous. Because when they see that's what they got, and yet Jesus is still looking at them like, okay, go, you feed them. And they're going, how, how are we going to feed them? They, and, and, and even if they had, they knew they didn't have that, any kind of money like that that would take to feed this group, this massive of humanity. They knew that, that, that what they had, even if they, they didn't have the money to go out, they would have probably, that would have cost them probably something like 200 denarii, which in our dollars uh, would be about eight months' wages. Eight months it would take to get enough food to feed that bunch. So the guys are just absolutely in, in incredible despair. So once more, what do we see? We see an exodus thing going on. Remember in the Moses, in the children of Israel, in the wilderness, Moses was the one providing through the manna, providing for the springs. He was doing these kind of things. This is Jesus doing these kind of things in a Moses-like way. Once more, the Exodus adventure in mind, Jesus calls for an orderly grouping. Uh, Luke, uh, I mean, uh, uh, Mark says fifties and hundreds. Uh, Luke just says fifties, uh, generally fifties. Uh, and, and he basically says, when everybody, get them in place in 50s, groups of 50s, and then let's have the blessing. <laughs> and so, the, you know, again, you got, got to, these guys are just sitting there thinking, what are we doing? This is going to look so bad on Jesus' record. You know, we're just going to get humiliated. We're, we have nothing. And Jesus is going to pray and thank God for this wonderful meal that's not here. So, Jesus would have probably prayed something like this traditional pre-meal prayer. Blessed are you, O Lord God, King of the world, who brings forth bread from the earth. And probably, at that point in time, the, uh, the people didn't know. The disciples knew what was up. <laughs> but they didn't know, and they probably gave some kind of a 5,000 plus amen to what Jesus, anticipating, well, there must be something good coming here. They must have made a lot of provisions for us. 
Now, as the distribution began, I, they had to be, you imagine, like being given a job like, here, here, go give all these people all this food that you don't have. How stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yet, every time they reached in, there was more fish. And there were more loaves. And they kept multiplying. And they kept multiplying. Every time they reached in, there was more. And Jesus, with his spoken word, multiplied the molecular structure of those barley cakes and pickled fish. That's what it would have been. Barley cakes and pickled fish. What seemed hopeless became a time of abundance. An incredible substantiation and satisfaction. See, Jesus took the little that was available and with that little, he provided great abundance. Listen to how it said. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. Not 12 baskets like those plates. Big, giant, take two people to carry that's what was left over so abundantly, so sufficiently the Savior had provided. And so Luke once again shows us more of the sufficiency of Jesus for his people's, people's needs. Once again, he's the greater Moses. That's the point. This was a Moses-like thing that Moses did long ago to provide for the people. Now the new Moses, the greater Moses, is here for the world to see and to know this is the all-sufficient Savior, the Son of God, who has come to supply all things that his people need. You know, old Bernard of Clairvaux, he had it right. Bread of heaven, bread of heaven. Feed me till I want no more. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the sufficiency of your son then and now for his disciples, his people, us, Lord, who know him. Lord, we thank you for the one who is altogether sufficient to cover and take away our sins and to bring us into abundance and lavish great joy and delights that we cannot yet comprehend. So great is your salvation, so great is your mercy and your goodness and your provision. And we thank you. And especially as we remember this day, as we take this meal together symbolically of what the great one, the greater Moses has done for us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you will, please rise for Behold the Lamb. Mm -hmm.